I'm not actually wired this morning. So Ben, do you want me here? Is that is that where I am? All right. Um, if you can come in at 2,000 feet, runway right, uh, altitude 2,000, uh, 200 knots. Sorry, I just had to land a plane real quick. So, uh, um, was that not awesome worship? My gosh, that was like just totally, totally awesome. Um, can y'all hear me? I don't really. Am I good, Ben? Am I set? My, am, am I uh, all good? All right, getting all set up here. Um, yeah, so just wanted to to talk a little bit this morning about the idea of who are you, who who am I, who who are we, um, our identity in Christ. And um, and Erica, you did great, by the way. You totally did fine. Um, and and if you don't mind, I'm gonna get you to get you to read the the passage later on, if if that's okay. You know, our our God is a God of second chances. Um, so, you know, let's, let's build on that. Um, so just starting off with some great worship, we're going to give Erica another, another shot here. And, uh, has anybody, has anybody seen the movie Batman? So there's like, there's like a zillion of them now, but like I'm old and I'm talking like Batman of 1989. There's this scene, you know, so Michael Keaton Batman and Kim Basinger and that, that whole one, right? So there's, there's this scene in Batman where it's like at the very end, and there are these villains that he's battling. He's got this one villain like by the lapels, and he's just looking at him. And then this guy goes, he goes, who are you? And right about that time, this other villain comes at him just from the back. He doesn't even look at him, and he just goes, just knocks the guy out. He's like, I'm Batman. <laughs> so this, this, this message a little bit this morning is about who are you? Who, who is our God? Who are we in light of who he is and how can we get a little more um, clear on that? So if, if we can just pray a little bit before we get started, uh, because I, I certainly need it. Uh, Lord God, we just, um, you are awesome, and uh, we want to know more about who you are this morning. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would reveal yourself uh, more and more through your word, uh, that this would not be about me this morning, that this would be about you speaking to us and revealing yourself through your word, Lord. We just thank you for that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In, uh, in, in another sort of illustration here, in the, uh, in the book called The Mask Behind the Mask, there's a biographer, uh, Peter Evans, who says that uh, the actor Peter Sellers, anybody know Peter Sellers, Pink Panther, that guy? Uh, Inspector Clouseau. Uh, Inspector Clouseau, uh, Peter Sellers played so many roles uh, in, his, in his life that sometimes he was not even sure of his own identity. And uh, at one point, he was actually approached by a fan in an airport uh, who shows up and says, hey, uh, you know, are, are you Peter Sellers? And uh, Sellers looked at him and said, not, not today, and kept, and kept on walking. So I um, wanted to talk a little bit this morning about, about who are you? Um, you know, who am I? And, you know, if we could, you know, kind of a little bit like Brett did, um, a little bit of interaction this morning, and just, if you can just take 30 seconds, literally, just to yourself, and think about it, um, what are some of the words that come to mind if you think of who am I? Um, what are some of those words that just come immediately to your mind? And we're just going to take really a moment of silence here just for, you know, 15, 20 seconds and uh, get some thoughts. If you want to just take some time here and think about that, and then we'll, we'll start up here. How about we go for 10 seconds? So whether or not 
the answers that you thought of are, um, are whether or not these are your answers. Um, what are some of the words that people might use to express who they are? And we'll just get some of these up on the whiteboard here. Any thoughts that come to mind? Names of people they love? Yeah. Anybody else? So these are, these are, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, I think it's like, uh, meaning nice, uh, attribute of a person. Mm. Like traits, traits. personality traits, yeah. This person's outgoing, not outgoing, disrag, non-disrag, stuff like that. <laughs> Great. So these are, um, these are really good examples, um, and, and sometimes in life we also have a, an issue of an identity crisis. Anybody ever woken up in the morning and been like, why am I really here? Um, I know I certainly had a week kind of this week where I'm asking myself that a little bit sometimes. Um, but let's look at, um, if we could this morning, a bit of an identity crisis in the Bible. Um, somebody who has been through some of this and and, uh, and, and has struggled with some of these issues. And we're going to look at Acts 9, 1 through 9. So if you want to turn, uh, turn in your Bibles there, I actually unfortunately don't know what page that is in the Blue Bibles. Um, so Acts 9, 1 through 9. And uh, Erica um, actually, and, and I do want to say this, the passage that she read this morning um, was actually very helpful and a, a good lead-in to this passage in, in, in Acts, that as Jesus was ministering to the disciples at the end of his ministry, as he was about to ascend to heaven, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in all Judea and all of Samaria. And the message there was, my power will fill you. You don't have to do this on your own. Yes, I have created you in my image. You are my disciple, but you don't have to do this on your own. You'll be filled with my power. Um, so if you would read Acts 9, 1 through 9, that would, be, that would be great. Great, thank you. So the, the, the first passage that Erica read this morning talks about the infilling of the Holy Spirit and God working in our hearts uh, in a way that empowers us where we are not uh, having to live life in a way where we're pulling ourselves up by the bootstrap. And here, I wanted to just explore with you a little bit this morning, who is this guy? Who is, who is Saul? And is this really an old dead story in the Bible and some ancient document, or is this something that can really apply to us today? If we look at verse 1, um, who is this guy? Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And I asked myself, what, what does this mean? He was still breathing out murderous threats. If you look back in chapter 7, there's another man, Stephen. And Stephen was about to be killed simply for believing something new and radical, that God could become man in the form of Jesus, that he could live among us, that he could change us. And in verse 7, or sorry, chapter 7, uh, verse 57, it says, They, the Jews uh, that were in Cyrene and Alexandria, from Cyrene and Alexandria, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this very man that, that Erica read about, who's confronted by Christ on the road to Damascus, he's the very one where everyone's saying, hey, we're going to go kill Stephen, one of the first believers, guard our coats for us. And he was more than glad to do that. that was, that's where Saul was at the beginning of this story that we see. And it says in, in chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. So in here, there's a great contrast as we look at the character of Saul moving through here. It's a great contrast because in Acts, 
uh, in verses 2 and 3, it says that godly men, after Stephen had been stoned and he's dead, godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul went the total other way and began to destroy the church. That was the mentality that Saul was in. So again, who is this guy? Saul is breathing murder. He's murderous. He's violent. As we live in a city like Baltimore, there's a lot of, uh, even I believe Carrie prayed this morning, in terms of the things that go on in Baltimore, there's, there's murder, there's violence. Can God change people? He is, he is a murderer of murderers. He's violent. He's breathing threats. In verse 2, who is this guy? Saul is seeking letters for Christians to seek them, bringing them bound to Jerusalem. This is really akin in our day, not simply to disliking somebody, but actually trying to sue them, actually trying to go after them through the legal system and figure out a way. If somebody says, I'm going to get my lawyer after you. I'm going to go after you. I'm going to justify this. You're not getting away from me. I'm using the system. So this is a guy, not only who's violent, he's filled with rage, but he's connected. He knows how to work the system. So this, ironically, he wants to bring them bound to Caiaphas, the high priest in Jerusalem. And if you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is being approached and being arrested, that is the same high priest that they're bringing Jesus to. So now Caiaphas has seen Jesus. He's, uh, Stephen, who's now been stoned, has been in front of Caiaphas as well. And Saul is singing to bring Christians uh, by drove to Caiaphas so that they might be murdered. So he's traveling with these letters from Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem to Damascus. And the period of time that, that Saul is doing this, he's covering great amounts of territory. And it's hard to see that sometimes. But the distance between Damascus and Jerusalem, anybody have a guess how far that is? Say like walking from here to D.C. Yeah, probably more. Actually, no, it's like 140 miles. So it's, it's more than that. Um, but 140 miles and, and, and you know, no commuter train, you know, Paul's, you know, Saul's just, you know, he's traveling these distances. He is a committed guy. So who is this guy? He's murderous. He's violent. He's committed. He's breathing threats. He knows how to work the system. He's committed to traveling long distances. And then all of a sudden, he's kind of just going about his life. And I don't know if any of you have had this. I certainly have, where something just happens in life and it just, it sends you a left curve. Sometimes it can be good. Sometimes it can be bad. But in this case, uh, Saul, as you remember from, from Erica's reading, he ends up blind. And probably in the beginning, he thought, wow, this is really tough stuff. But quite often when God um, challenges us in life, we think it's bad to begin with. But God is the God that takes evil and he turns it into good. So now we approach in verses 3 and 4, it's the encounter. The great encounter that, that Saul has in verses 3 and 4. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to, say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And back to the original analogy, who are you? Saul responds in verse 5, who are you, Lord? And God says to him, I am Jesus. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, Jesus replies. So here, Saul, who sees himself as the guardian of really of Rome in some ways, a guardian of, of Judaism who wants to kill Christians. That is his identity at this point. And he meets a total other identity. One identity meets the other. The taker of life in Saul meets the giver of life in Jesus. And we do see that ultimately Jesus gives Saul a new life. 
And by the way, this isn't actually the first time that this has been asked of Jesus. And there's a power in just asking Jesus, who are you? God, who are you? At those times where we're very confused, God works through that. And you might remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, in, uh, in John chapter 18, 4 through 6, uh, all throughout his ministry, people are saying, are you the son of God? Who are you? I want to know. So in John 18, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane at night. It's dark, uh, you know, trees, gardens all around. It's very quiet. But then soldiers show up with torches, with weapons. And, uh, and he says, who is it that you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And he says, I am he. So at that point, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back. They fell to the ground. Just by saying, I am he, they said, who are you? Who is it? He says, I am he. They fell to the ground. There was power simply in asking that. And there's that same power in knowing Christ uh, overwhelmed the soldiers. So at this point, we're back to Saul. Saul gets up from the ground in verse 8. And when he opens his eyes, he could see nothing. And they lead him by the hand to Damascus, where he encounters Ananias, a man chosen to support Saul. And this is important because quite often during the change that we have in life, when we have one of those left hooks that just hit us, God doesn't ask us to go through that alone. That's one of the blessings of being at a place like the garden, that we're here together. We can walk with each other through this. God, as Erica read in the first passage, God gives us his Holy Spirit so we don't have to go through this alone. And in this case, God brings Ananias alongside Saul and says, Ananias, I have appointed you uh, because I'm going to work through Saul. If you look at this in verse 15, the Lord actually says to Ananias, he says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. Ultimately, God uses Paul or Saul, his name later becomes Paul, uses him throughout the Mediterranean and parts of Asia to spread the gospel, to spread the good news of Christ. The message of a God that loves us enough to pursue us just as he pursued Paul and in a way sort of rocked his world and totally changed him. There's actually one commentary that says, the most important event in human history apart from the life and death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is the conversion to Christianity of Saul of Tarsus. If Saul had remained a Jewish rabbi as he was, persecuting Christians, etc., we would actually be missing 13 of 27 books of the New Testament. And in this one life, God did a lot. And in one life, in your one life, God can also do a lot. So at this point now in the story of Saul, and I encourage you to think about this in your own lives as well, in verse 20, we start to see a transformation. And this is after Saul has been through some really excruciating time. He's blind for a time. He doesn't know what the heck is going on. He thinks probably uh, something really bad has happened. He's encountered a God that he doesn't yet understand, but he's starting to find a lot of grace in him. And in verse 20, we see that at once, and this is part that, that Erica didn't read. It's later in the chapter after Saul's gone through this difficulty, gone through some of this gut-wrenching part of having that left hook thrown at him. It says that once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Isn't this the same guy that we threw our coats at before? Isn't this the same guy that was saying, kill him, kill him? I mean, what the heck has happened here? And it says, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled. He actually baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving 
that Jesus is, is the Messiah. Not killing people who believe that Jesus is Messiah, but now actually going and proving it and preaching to others and through that Holy Spirit changing lives. Paul's identity is ultimately and completely and totally changed. The problem that we have in many ways is that sometimes we want to change. We actually do want to change and we don't know how. Um, I know I do. Anybody have things they want to change? I mean, I've got a lot of them. My wife and I were talking about some of them this morning. There are definitely some things I still need to work on. Um, But going back to some of these things, um, how do people want to, you know, if if we look at life now beyond church, beyond Christian community, see in in the public, for example, as you watch TV, and people want to change their identities, what are some ways they do that? Toss out some thoughts. They change their names? Madonna's real name is probably not Madonna. <laughs> Just saying. Any others? Surgery. What's that? Surgery. Plastic surgery. Great. Absolutely, Matt. Exercise, eat differently. Sure. Get a job, go to school. Yeah. Move, move away. Separate yourself, get a different group, a different entourage. If you're a celebrity, you might get a firm that's actually a, a public image firm, right? You know, putting out messages. Um, you guys took all of mine. That's awesome. I mean, those are the ones I had listed. You know, another one I actually did have listed was, you know, psychologists or self-help books. I'm going to read all these books, you know. Uh, I'm going to do it. Um, ultimately, if you look at a lot of these things, though, and I've been guilty of this, it's pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. If I read enough of these books, if I talk to the right people, if I hang around the right people, then ultimately that's going to change me. And, um, you know, whether it's, you know, hanging out with different people, stopping whatever happens on Friday night or, you know, um, just changing my way of life. Ultimately, doing it ourselves is a short-term solution. I know it has certainly, certainly failed for me. It's a Band-Aid approach. And it doesn't really address the core of the issue, which is that we're sinful. We're fallen people. We are, we are ultimately weak. And we need, we need God in our hearts to help us in those areas. Um, and ironically, even some secular programs that aren't necessarily church-affiliated, like Alcoholics Anonymous, they start with the need to acknowledge a higher power. And it works. In my view, it works because it's true. And it, there is only one living God that affects that ultimate and everlasting change. But they are on to a principle that's so, so true that we need that. And that's how those things how those things work. But doing it ourselves and trying to just try better or change our appearance or stopping drinking or going to rehab or shutting somebody off from our life that, you know, that we don't want to deal with, that that's ultimately short term. And that ultimately, the core issue is that I'm flawed and every single day I need God just to get slightly better. So the good news in this is that, is that just like in, in Saul's life, Christ works in us. We don't actually have to pull up ourselves by the bootstraps. We don't have to read all those books. Um, They can help. Some of these things are not bad things, by the way. Um, You know, if you want to change your hairstyle and look different, that's fine, you know. Um, Some of these things are not bad, but ultimately, um, ultimately, we don't have to do it ourselves. Um, I'd like to ask um, just a few of us this morning um, to read some other verses from the Bible and the reason um, I wanted to do that is because we have this story of Saul as he's transformed. And there are various passages in the Bible 
where God gives us hints, he gives us glimpses of who we really are in him, whether or not we've been a greedy person, a violent person, a vain person, a person who gives in to all sorts of vices, a person who's selfish, a person who cuts ourselves off from other people, a person who's cold, a person who indulges too much. God gives us plenty of examples in his word of indications of who we really are in him if we just say, Lord, who are you and who do you want me to be? So if you could just read those out, I know there are a few around that would be great and I think uh, I think Crystal might have the first <laughs> no worries second one second Corinthians five seventeen. therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creature the old has passed away Saul's murderous life has passed away the new has come third one we're God's temple and God's spirit dwells within us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made in Christ. And I wanted to end on that, that last one because that gives me personally so much hope. And I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, I need that one when I wake up some mornings and I'm thinking, man, I really screwed up yesterday. And the confidence is there that whatever God has started in you, that he will continue to perfect and he will continue to work on with you and that you're not alone and he will bring others around you. So that is the good news. So I ask you really this morning, who are you? Are you really, are you really these things that, that we wrote on the whiteboard to start out with? Is that really who we are? Or rather, are we made in the image of Christ? Are we his temple? Are we his children whom he loves? And that even when those right hooks sometimes are sent to us, that he wants to walk with us through those things, even when we're knocked down. And that he, just like he has for us in the garden, brought others around us to surround us, to care for us. Are we really our job, our point of origin, our race, our gender, our marital status? Are we really any of these things except perhaps this one? That we are in Christ, we are really his children, and that is the, the essence of who we are. But the key here is really that Christ is the one who will show us who we truly are by asking him, who are you? Batman was pretty sure. He was pretty sure of that. And God is much bigger than Batman. That, that's, some, that's some great theology there this morning. God is bigger than Batman. But but he is the author. He is the author of our true identity. And all we have to do is ask him and to get to know who he is. In many cases, like the case of Saul, he gets us before we even ask. There's a poem. I actually looked at it and sort of researching it for, for the message this morning called The Hound of Heaven. It's so long that I didn't read it, but I encourage you to look at it called The Hound of Heaven. It talks about a God who pursues us over and over down the highways and the byways. No matter how far along we go, how far away we get, he doesn't forget us. And when we fall down, he doesn't just leave us there. So if you haven't asked him this morning who you are, I would encourage you to do that in your own heart this morning. The quietness of your own heart, ask him that because he will answer. And if you haven't asked him who he is, I would encourage you to do that as well. I know that in my personal walk, when I was really struggling, I was not only asking who Christ was, I was asking who Buddha was, I was asking who, what Hinduism was, what Mormonism was, and there was a person who said, I would encourage you as you do that, 
read the Bhagavad Gita, read the Upanishads, read the Book of Mormon, but also read the Bible, give it a fair shot, and read the Book of John. And that was his encouragement to me. And one summer after grad school and had a lot of time on my hands, I actually went out and I read through the book of John and he said, what I would recommend doing is just read through and take a bunch of notes. Just write down to yourself, read about this guy, read about this Jesus that people talk about and write your own notes, write down what you think he is, who you think he is and ask, ask God to reveal himself to you. Ask him, who are you? And read through that. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that has been God's promise to us all along, that he will reveal himself to us if we simply ask. And in some cases, in many cases, even if we're not asking, he's going to come find us anyway. And he'll reveal himself to you at many points. And you may say, no, I'm not ready for it. No, I don't want to. But it doesn't mean he's going to give up. God changed the life of Saul. He became known as Paul. He changed the world. We wouldn't have many books in the Bible as we have today. If you feel your identity is not based in Christ this morning, I would just ask you, if it's not based in the very God who created you, what might the world be missing this morning? Let's pray together. Lord God, I just um, thank you for the opportunity this morning just to, um, just to share your word, just to immerse ourselves in it. We thank you for the life of Paul. We thank you for the fact that you reveal your identity to us if we simply ask you who you are. And we know that we're created in your image. We thank you for your word that tells us time and again uh, who we are and the amazing plans that we have for us if we simply get to know you and, um, and take you up on your promises and simply accept and say, okay, I'm ready. And Lord, if there's any heart here this morning that, that desires that, Lord, and we just pray for that heart. We ask that you would meet them where they are. Reveal yourself to them, Lord. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.